Amen. Let's go to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40. And we'll just read verse 31 there. Isaiah 40 and 31. This prophet is prophesying to a captive nation. And they're complaining about their plight. They are wondering if God has forgotten them. I don't know if that thought has ever crossed your mind, but it was certainly crossing the minds of the nation of Judah. Lord, you have forgotten where we are. You don't care what's happening in our lives. So the God, God sent these words through the prophet Isaiah. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. How many of you have discovered that God has a waiting room? He does. Often we see God making a promise and then he takes his sweet time delivering on that promise. Amen. But I'm here to declare to you this morning that just because God is waiting doesn't mean He's not working. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. I don't know if this has happened to you. I know many of us, if not all of us, have sat in waiting rooms before in doctor's offices or car repair shops waiting for uh, things to happen. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it would be nice if waiting, waiting rooms would have waiting room etiquette posted on their walls, wouldn't it? I mean, there's, right, there's waiting room etiquette. This is common sense, right? You don't talk loud in a waiting room. I mean, you, you, you use not even your inside voice in waiting rooms. You use your, what might be called your library voice in a waiting room, Right? That's softer than your inside voice. In a waiting room, you sit spaced out. Now, when I, when I saw this, I thought, now that doesn't mean that you're in a daze and you don't know what's going on. That kind of spaced out. You sit with distance between you and somebody else. If you're walking up in a waiting room and there's two people sitting and there's seven chairs between the two, you, cho you choose chair number four, right? One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Yeah, you, you space yourself out in a waiting room. This is just waiting room etiquette. If you need to take a call or to make a call, you leave the waiting room. And for goodness sake, put your phone on silent. That's good advice for church, right? If uh, you want to play a game, seems like we've got a theme going here. Put your phone on silent, right? Come on. If you want to watch a show or something, a video on your phone, Put your phone on silent. Now, I know these are, these are new things that haven't been around for a while, but there's some things called earphones. 
And they've even got them now where they don't even have cords to them. They're wireless. They, they work through your Bluetooth. Get yourself, this is, this is just waiting room etiquette. Get yourself some earbuds. If you must listen to something in a waiting room. Now, I have seen all of these rules broken. Yes, every single one of them. People receiving phone calls in the waiting room. Their phone is not on silent, by the way, and they pick it up. Hello? They're using their outside voice, for goodness sake. Sitting in the waiting room at Carti, this man picked up a call, and for five minutes, he used his outside voice in the waiting room. And about two minutes in, I had had all I could take. And so I looked at him and I said, Sir, could you at least put it on speaker so we can hear the other side of the conversation? No, I, I didn't. I'm sorry. I thought about it, though. Oh, was I ever thinking about it. I was praying for all the cell towers in the area to drop the calls. I remember sitting in a waiting room a few weeks ago, and uh, it was quiet and silent, peaceful like it ought to be. People were spaced out like they should be in the waiting room. Nobody sitting too close. And all of a sudden, I heard the familiar music of Candy Crush. <laughs> and this gentleman obviously didn't realize that his phone had a volume control because it was all the way up. And for several minutes, he played Candy Crush. Another moment when I wanted to scream at him. But I held myself. Don't you, when you're in a waiting room and somebody comes and sits right next to you? I mean, there's, there's open seats all in the waiting room. And yet they choose to seat right beside you. And then... A few weeks ago as well, uh, I was sitting in there, and uh, a couple of ladies came in. It was a daughter and her, her mother, and they turned on their favorite show. And so we all got to listen to the show. So I wanted to say, could you at least get it to cast it up to the big TV up there so we can all watch the show? Because we're hearing what's going on, but we can't, we can't keep up with it. The things that people do in waiting rooms. Uh, several years ago, I had a bout of kidney stones. And if you've ever experienced that wonderful event, you know that it is not a joy. And so I, I woke up early one morning and I told Carolyn, I said, I'm having a kidney stone attack and you're going to have to take off work because you are driving. And so we rushed to, we didn't go to the emergency room because I had done that twice before and didn't get quick treatment, and so I thought, we'll just go to our doc my doctor's office. And so I went in uh, and sat in the waiting room, or at least tried to, and you know if you've got kidney stones going on, you cannot get comfortable. But oh, when I got into the uh, exam room, and my doctor wasn't there, but Dr. Schatz was there, uh, and I know you've heard Brother Gaddy talk about his doctor, and what a, an unusual name for a doctor, right? Dr. Schatz. And I was so thankful when, when Dr. Schatz came in and he ordered the nurse to give me a shot of morphine. I was singing, 
Hallelujah. Thank God for morphine. <laughs> Amen. God answers prayers in mysterious ways. <laughs> Praise God. But you know what? Uh, God is, has a waiting room, and it doesn't have to be the kind of waiting room that we experience on this earth. But in God's waiting room, there's some etiquette and some things. If we learn, we can go through the waiting room experience a lot better. Because God's word declares to us, they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Earthly waiting rooms tend to take my strength away. But when I find myself waiting on God, God is declaring to us this morning that his waiting room is a place where your strength can be renewed. Listen to this, Isaiah 40, verses 28 through 31. Again, this is the prophet Isaiah. And by the way, his name means Jehovah is salvation. So every time the, the nation of Judah heard the name of Isaiah and or spoke the name of Isaiah, they were declaring that God knows where I'm at. He's my salvation. He is in control. And this is what we've got to know about waiting rooms. God is in control. He's not forgotten where you're at. He's not lost your address. He's not confused about what you need. He knows right where you are. And if we'll grasp a hold of the, the understanding that God is sovereign and that he is working and that he will move in our lives when the time is right, then we can understand and have strength and find strength in the waiting room that God has put us in. Listen to this. This, this is what... This man named Jehovah is salvation, or Isaiah, spoke for God to the nation of Israel. Have you not known? Have you not heard? In other words, we, this is something you should already know. Haven't you been listening to what God has been saying? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary? His understanding is unsearchable. You can't ever find the end of it. It's unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. Amen. Oh, thank God for that. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even the youth. In other words, in our natural strength, young people have, have strength. But in, even the youth will faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. Because if we try to do it on ourselves, even our natural strength cannot do it. But God is telling us, they who wait on the Lord or for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Isaiah is trying to illustrate to the nation of Judah the greatness and transcendence of God. That there is nothing that, that gets God 
in a sweat. There is nothing that causes God to worry or fret. He doesn't get worn out. He knows right where his people are. And when we reach out to him in faith, it gives God an avenue in our lives to work. And so as we believe that God is who he is, he is able to work in our lives in ways that he wants to work. We've got to understand that, that he is great. He is mighty. He is firmly in charge. He's in control. I know sometimes when we look at society, it looks like God has forgotten. It looks like the church is in trouble. But God's word declares to to us that he is always firmly in control. He doesn't get weary. He's not forgotten what's going on in your life. He knows right where you are. He's not forgotten you. Amen. You see, he, we have to realize this. The way it is right now is not the way it will always be. And this is what he was trying to tell the nation of Judah. Just because you find yourself right now in captivity does not mean that you will always be in captivity. You, this won't be the way it is always. And if you'll trust me, I'm going to bring you through. If you believe me to be, be who I have declared myself to be, I am going to bring you through. I'm going to work in your life if you'll trust me. So we see all through Scripture, we see people waiting for the Lord. Abraham and Sarah waited for 25 years. You're going to have a, a child, and that child is going to multiply. And you're going to have descendants like the sand of the sea and the stars in the sky. But for, for 25 years... It didn't happen the way God had declared. They waited on the Lord. We see Joseph being given those dreams at the age of 17. But his life went all kinds of haywire before those dreams were ever realized. And yet God was in the midst of it all. Joseph came to realize that even though his brothers meant it for evil, God meant it for good. And I'm here to declare to somebody this morning, it doesn't really matter what people do to you, how they treat you. If you will trust in God, God will mean it for good. He's able to take what has happened to you and bring a blessing to you and help you to bless other people. So really, God is sovereign. If we could just get this into our brains this morning and realize nothing passes uh, through God without God giving the okay in our lives. Now, sometimes that may cause us a little concern. You mean God allowed this? Well, God is working in your life. And if he's allowed it, he's going to bring you through it. If he's brought you to it, he's going to bring you through it. He's going to help you. He's trying to develop you. God is not trying to destroy us. He's trying to develop us. We've got to get this in our understanding. God is sovereign. All things work together for good. To them who love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. Amen. It may not be good in and of itself, but if you'll put it in God's hands and you'll trust him, He has a way of working it for good. Amen. For good. Moses waited 40 years. Hannah waited. We don't know how many years, but she waited years for for this child named Samuel. 
All the while, her adversary telling her God had forgotten her. And God wasn't working in her life. And God didn't care. But she kept going to the temple and praying and asking God for a child. And God delivered on his promise. Joseph, for 20 years, waited. Amen. David, 15 years, waited. I don't know long, how long you've been waiting. But real quickly here this morning, I want to give you some waiting room etiquette. And I don't want to talk about these Old Testament characters. I want to go to the book of Acts. And I want us to look at that fledgling church that Jesus left in an upper room. They had been through it, right? I mean, one of the 12 betrays Jesus, brings the Roman soldiers into the garden, betrays Jesus. Jesus is arrested. He's tried in a kangaroo court, found guilty of crimes he did not commit. He's crucified on a cross. His life taken, it seemed, but he freely gave it. Disciples scatter. Judas dies a tragic death. These are all things that are going on. Jesus is dead. They're wondering what's going on. Then all of a sudden, Jesus is not dead anymore. He has risen, and they celebrate. And for 40 days, he teaches them. And they think, oh, great, this is, this is awesome. Jesus is back with us. And then he leads them to a mount, and he says, okay, I'll see you later. And they're, they're dumbfounded. I've often been critical of the disciples. Why were they standing? They standing there looking in the heavens. And, and the angels said, why are you? They, they ask him, why are you standing here? But this is what I would have done. Did you get this? He's, he's leaving us. And he tells them to go, wait for the promise of the Father. And I see there's, there's some things that the early church did in that upper room that can provide us with a pattern to be. If I could connect this sermon to Pastor Gaddy's sermon last Sunday on being spirit-led. These are some things that we can do to be spirit-led when we're not sure what's going on, when we're waiting on God to do something. And we can, we can follow their pattern, and it can, it can help us to be the kind of people that we need to, to be in the society in which we live. We see them go to the upper room. Verse number 14 of Acts chapter 1. And while... Uh, or excuse me, verse number four, he says to go wait for the promise of the Father. This is what he tells them to do. And then he goes to uh, verse number 13 and 14. They were all gathered there in the upper room. The disciples, the apostles, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James, the son of Ephesus. There's two Jameses already. And Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Just a side note, but has it ever occurred to you that you know, we could have helped them out with some names? 
How many Jameses in the Bible, in the New Testament? How many Marys? Goodness, I mean, we're so creative these days, right? I mean, we, we make names up out of thin air. It's just like, oh, yeah, that sounds like an awesome name. We just put a bunch of letters together. We see a sign or we see something uh, at the birth of our child and we make up a name. And we could have helped these folks out with names. We really could have. Side note, I'm sorry. They went to the upper room and they prayed. The Bible says they devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves. So while we wait, we need to devote ourselves to prayer. When we don't know what's going on, we don't know how God's going to work, we don't have the provision that He has promised, we don't have the direction that we need from Him, we don't have healing in our bodies, what do we do? We devote ourselves to prayer. This is what the early church did. They devoted themselves to prayer. Now, sometimes I wonder why prayer seems like uh, it is something that's so difficult for us to establish in our lives. It's because the devil doesn't want us to be praying people. He doesn't want us to depend on God. He doesn't want us to turn to God for help because he understands if we do, then God's going to hear us and God's going to answer us. God's going to help us. But if we will establish this understanding that in my life, I am going to devote myself to prayer. If if I am going to be anything, I'm going to be a person who prays. This is what the early church was illustrating to us. That if we are waiting on God, devote yourself to prayer. This word prayer, it means to draw near to God. I asked Brother Jason yesterday uh, a definition for this this word. And he said, uh, this word that we often see in the Greek means to go toward. So in other words, prayer is us going toward God, heading, pointing our lives toward God, toward what his word declares, toward who he is, toward his character, toward his greatness and his mightiness. We understand that God is great, and we need to always be raising our view of who God is. Instead of letting the world tear our concept of God down. Years ago, I heard this man pray this, or say this about prayer. He said, when I pray, he said, I often say to God, God, help me to pray to you as you are, not as I perceive you to be. Help me to pray to you as you really are, not as I perceive you to be. Help my faith to leap and span the gap between my understanding and your greatness, God. I want to be able to connect with who you really are in my prayer. Instead of just my human mind and my human intellect, I want to be able to pray to you as you really are. So if we, in a time of waiting, will devote ourselves to prayer. God will work in our lives. You see, the, the upper room did not sound like a library or a waiting room at a doctor's office. It sounded like a delivery room. There were cries and, and moans and groans for what God was doing, birthing in their lives. And sometimes we need to be praying in such a manner. We need to be pouring our hearts out to God in prayer. Often my prayers are whispered, but there are times when the moment, the situation, the circumstance calls for me to do more than just whisper a prayer. 
Let me say it again. I've said it before from this pulpit. But parents, your children need to hear you cry out in prayer in your homes. Oh, thank God for the people who come to church to pray. But often, your children, if you've got children in your home, they need to hear you crying out to prayer. Oh, the strength that has been provided to me in my life as I have remembered hearing my mom pray. Crying out to the Lord. Your children need to hear it. Your spouse needs to hear it. Amen. Amen. You see, you don't, there are times when you have to, in prayer, not use your library voice or not even your inside voice, but you need to use your outside voice in prayer. You need to cry out to God and get his attention. Let him know that you know who he is. You know how great he is. And this is what prayer does for us. This kind of prayer is not just a prayer for things, asking him for something, a list, but it is declaring him to be who he is. This is why Jesus said, our father, this is how we ought to pray, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. This is why Jesus prayed in the garden, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Amen. We must acknowledge that God knows better than we do. Our Father who is in heaven, he's got a perspective that we don't have, and we trust him. We trust him. We don't want a God we can control. Sometimes we think we do. Well, I prayed about this, and God didn't do it the way I wanted him to. Well, then, I guess God knew better. Right? I guess he, he had something different in mind. We don't want a God we can control. We want a God who is in control. Not something, someone we can push around, but someone who's firmly in charge. And we have to submit. This is what this word means. It also means not only to draw near to God, but it means to surrender ourselves to his will. That's why he included that prayer. Not for us to pray for his will to be done. Amen. One, one author put it this way. Prayer is the difference between what we can do and what God can do. Prayer is the difference between seeing with our natural eyes and seeing with our spiritual eyes. Amen. Can I get an amen? Because there's sometimes you can't see what you're seeing. If, if, if you're seeing uh, with your eyes only that which can be seen, you're not seeing everything that needs to be seen. We need to see with our spiritual eyes. Prayer is the difference between you fighting and God fighting for you. Prayer is the difference between appointments and divine appointments. Amen. I want God to be lining me up with people, lining my life up with things so that his kingdom can come and his will can be done. I need some divine appointments in my life. I don't need to just go through the motions. I need God to do something that I can't do. In my life. And this is what prayer does for us. Prayer is the difference between good ideas and God ideas. Amen. I need God to be 
working in my mind. Prayer is the difference between closed doors and open doors. It's the difference between the impossible and the possible. It's the difference between lions, hungry lions, and the lions whose mouths are shut. This is what prayer does, because Daniel refused to stop praying. Oh, if you don't quit praying, we're going to throw you in the lion's den. Bring it on, because I'm not stopping praying. And he didn't. I can't imagine what was going through the minds of those lions, because they saw lunch, but they couldn't eat. Their mouths were shut. Because prayer was made. The best, the prayer is the difference between the best we can do and the best God can do. Amen. Prayer is the difference between powerless and powerful. Amen. I want to be powerful. This is what Daniel experienced. This is what Elijah experienced when he prayed. This is what the about 120 experienced in the upper room. They experienced the difference between what they could do and what God can do with the moving of his Holy Spirit. So they devoted themselves to prayer for about 10 days. I wonder what would happen if we, for a few days, just say, okay, I'm going to devote myself to prayer. Every spare moment I have, I'm going to be praying. I'm going to be calling on God. I know I've got to carry on life, but I'm, I'm going to be saying no to some things so I can say yes to God. I'm going to get in his presence, and I'm going to make prayer to God. I'm going to intercede before the throne of God. What would happen if we would decide to, uh, that God was going to take, get some more of our time in prayer? What would happen? The outpouring of God's spirit that would occur in our lives if we would just pray about it. They devoted themselves to prayer. Not only did they do that, but we see as we read in Acts chapter 1 verse 15, Peter started quoting scripture. He found, they found themselves in this situation where Judas had left the 12. And he was now dead and they needed to replace Judas. And so they began to search the scriptures for direction. And he's referring to scripture. Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled. He's looking to the scriptures for directions, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. And he starts quoting scripture from the book of Psalms. May his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. It comes from Psalm 69. And let another take his office, Psalm 109, verse 8. He begins to quote scriptures because, see, here's what we do. When we find ourselves in a period of waiting, we need to turn to God's scripture for direction. We need to look to God's word for direction instead of looking to scrolling through Facebook or through uh, some other social media for, for some type of inspiration or uh, looking to human wisdom for some type of inspiration, we need to turn to God and ask him, Lord, what are you saying? What are you saying to me uh, about my situation? Is there some direction I can find in your word? Is there a precedent that has been set in your word that I can turn to so that you can give me direction? While we wait... We need to be mindful of the scripture. We need to be understanding that God's word is, is where we need to turn. We need to hear what the scripture is saying to us. This is how we wait. This is how the early church waited. They prayed. They turned to God's word. How many terrible decisions could be thwarted if we but, but turn to God's word and wait for God to speak? How many lives can be blessed instead of cursed 
if we would just turn to God's word. Amen. Hosea said it this way, My people are destroyed for their lack of knowledge. Shame. They've rejected knowledge, and therefore I'm going to reject them. Years ago, I was thinking about that verse, and I thought, you know, I wonder what that verse sounds like in the positive. Because if the negative is true, the inverse of that is true as well. What would, what would happen instead of being destroyed that we are built up and strengthened because of our knowledge? Because we've not rejected the law of God. We have embraced it and we have loved it. God will embrace us and love us and not reject us when we make his law something that we love. Amen. As Daniel said, My, the people who do know their God shall be strong. And carry out great exploits. Amen. So not only did they devote themselves to prayer. And not only did they turn to scripture for direction. But they also while they waited. They kept it together. They kept it together. I remember in church my mother saying to me. Larry you better get it together. And she meant it, I promise you. <laughs> Most people don't remember when they were three years old, but when something traumatic happens to you, you remember it. And my mother took me out three times in a service. The third time, she got my attention. I promise you. You better get it together. The devil wants us to fracture. He's always wanting us to see things in the church that make us think the church is not that great. It's a bunch of humans. It's not perfect. But you see, if we will raise our view of God and then also raise our view of his church, it'll help us out. Now, here's, here's, here's my thought. Acts chapter... 2, verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. What had just happened was they, they had replaced Judas with an election. The choices were Joseph called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. There were some people in that upper room that were wearing Joseph buttons on their clothes. They were, they were wanting him to be elected. They had banners for Joseph, the next apostle. And yet when the vote happened, he didn't get it. See, in the, in the waiting room, there's going to be an opportunity to become offended by the decision. And let me tell you, New Life Church, God has got things in our future that's going to require us to stay together, to keep it together. We're not going to always agree with the decision, but when the decision is made, we stay together. We keep it together. 
We don't fracture over some crazy decision. I've heard of churches fracturing over the color of the carpet or the, the color of the wall paint. My goodness, we got to get bigger than that, New Life Church. We need to be stronger. We need to say, okay, this wasn't the way that I wanted it to go, but that's okay. Because God's got great things for us in our future. And we've got to learn to stay together and keep it together because there's some things that are greater than our own preferences. Here's what I believe. I believe that everybody that was for Joseph stayed in the upper room. Joseph himself stayed in the upper room because it wasn't about their preferences. They were all together in the upper room on the day of Pentecost because I don't want to miss out on what God has for me. They didn't want to miss out on the outpouring of the Holy Ghost over some crazy election. They decided it doesn't matter what, these, what happens here. I will be in the upper room. I will be in the right place at the right time. I will be where God is pouring His Spirit out no matter what the decision is. We've got to keep it together. We've got to keep it together. Amen. Just my word of advice for all of us as we push forward into the revival that God wants for New Life Church. Let's be people who devote ourselves to prayer. Let's be people who Get in God's word and look for direction here and not somewhere else. Let's be people who are ter- determined to keep it together. Oh, my brother, my sister, don't get offended. Don't let the devil get a place in your heart over some small decision that's been made. God has brought us all together here for a reason and for a purpose. And we can't let small things. Oh, but, but Brother Larry, you don't know it was a big thing. I know, I know I'm, not, I'm not minimizing uh, the importance of it in your life. But I'm just saying compared to eternity and compared to what God wants to do, it's smaller than that, right? It's smaller than that. We've got to learn to get over some things so God can do what he wants to do in our lives. And we don't have a big problem with that here at New Life Church. And I thank God for that. But going forward, we've got to always understand that there's going to be differences of opinion. But we're going to all stay together. We're going to be together. We're going to work together. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? And here's the, here's the altar call. It's simple. It's just simply this. If you will agree to devote yourself to prayer. I mean, really, really devote yourself to prayer. Would you come? If you'll agree that God's word is going to be preeminent in your life when it comes to finding direction, would you come? If you agree that you're going, to, you're going to learn to keep it together, you're going to love your brothers and sisters in the church. I understand they're not perfect, but you're going to love them. Would you come? Amen. And we're going to commit to these this morning. Say, God, I know you've got an outpouring of your Holy Spirit in my life that I'm waiting for. I'm not going to let prayerlessness keep me from that. I know that you've got an outpouring of your spirit in my life. And I'm not going to let the wisdom of this world get in the way of that. I know you've got an outpouring of your Holy Spirit in my life. And I'm not going to let a difference of an opinion get in the way of that. Amen. Would you join with me in prayer right now all across this building? Let's pray and just commit to that. Lord, thank you. I thank you for New Life Church.
I thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus, we're committing to it. Lord Jesus, we need the outpouring of your spirit. We need it, God. Oh, Lord Jesus, you promised it, Lord. It's happened before, God. Oh, Lord Jesus, and we need it to happen again. It's happened before, God, and we need it to happen again, Lord Jesus. And so we're asking you, God, to help us. Oh, Lord Jesus, help us, God. Pour your spirit out again upon us, Jesus. Pour your spirit out again upon us, Lord, we pray. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Would you do that for us, Lord? Would you help us, God, this morning? Would you help us, Lord Jesus? Oh, God, in the name of Jesus. Bring us together, Lord Jesus, so you can pour your spirit out upon us, we pray. In the mighty, in the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 The scripture says that God is pouring his spirit out upon all flesh. Amen. And if you've not been filled with God's spirit, I invite you for that. Amen. If you would come up to the front here, we'd, we'd be glad to pray for you in the closing moments of this service. Amen. For God to fill you with his spirit. But see, here's the thing. God is always pouring his spirit out. If we'll wait right, God will pour his spirit out. But if we won't wait right, then, then it locks up sometimes God what, what God wants to do in our life. But if we learn to wait right and get the etiquette of God's waiting room correct, God will pour His Spirit out on our lives. Because here's the thing. I, I know there's some things that God wants us to be content with. And His Word declares that. There's some things He just absolutely wants us to be content with. But here's what I hope that we never, we never, ever get content with the way God's poured out His Spirit in our life in the past. That we never let the past blessings of God obscure our vision for what He wants to do in the future. That we're always hungry. We're always hungry. And I just ask you, brothers and sisters, when was the last time? When was the last time God poured His Spirit out in your life? When was the last time you let God pour His Spirit out upon you? God's always wanting to do more for us. He's always wanting to pour His Spirit out upon us. And let's, so let's let this cry come out from the church this, this, today as, before we leave. That God, Lord, I just want you to pour your Spirit out on me. Pour your Spirit out on me, Jesus. Right now, God, in this place and, and in my private times of prayer, God, would you pour your Spirit out upon me, Lord? I need it. I'm not satisfied with that, God. I need more of you, Jesus. I need more of you, Jesus. I need you to move in my life. I need you to move in my soul. I need you to move in my family, oh God. I need you to bring healing, Lord Jesus, into my body or the body of a loved one, Lord. I need you to give me direction, Jesus. And so I cry out to you. I cry out to you, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. 